Dan has 27,000 unread emails. <laughs> shooting for 28,000. Oh, that would really, really mess with my calm. Yeah, I've, I've struggled to think about anything else since I sat down here. I, I open the email folder, scan down what's there. If there's nothing really important, I just show, shut the uh, the app. So there's shitloads of unread stuff because I've read it and gone, yeah, that's junk, 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 junk. junk. I'll delete that eventually. And then the important stuff is either dealt with and not deleted or read, processed, and go, no, it's not actually that important. So I could just go along and go, delete all. Coming to you live from two locations, rather than three this week. It's a 2v1 podcast. Aye, aye. That's what she said. Don't even know what that would mean. (laughs) Two men, one mic. That's just wrong, Dan. (laughs) X nouns, Y nouns. It's all been ruined for me. All right, what's the episode number? Um, 21. 21. Woohoo, we're legal! Damn, we've been legal for three episodes, or five episodes, or four episodes, depending on what you're talking about legal to do. If you mean each other, that's been since episode 16. We're now legal for everything in most English-speaking countries. Yeah, but fuck America. God knows why they have to be 21 to drink. So you can drive at 16, but you can't go legally drink driving till you're 21. I don't think you can ever go legally drink driving. <laughs> well, that was kind of the irony of that statement, Dan, but yeah, thanks, thanks for pointing out the joke. Yeah, irony switched off. I'm too tired. Sarcasm detector failure. Or as um, someone else said at some point, in the US you can serve up to serve in the military, become a war hero, return home, get elected to Congress and get married, and you'll have to toast all that with a non-alcoholic drink. This week's episode of Remedial Nerding, the podcast where three nerds force each other to watch something that they really should have already seen. Your friendly neighbourhood nerds this week are Nathan, Dan and me, Paul. Remember, there's no such thing as a bad nerd. Now, welcome to episode 21 of Remedial Nerding. And this week it's Alien Resurrection. I nearly said Alien 3. That was last week. Why am I living in the past? Alien First Contact, if it had been Star Trek. <laughs> Well, did you know that Alien First Contact... Alien, what have you done? <laughs> first blood to Dan. Well, did you know that Star Trek First Contact was originally going to be called Star Trek Resurrection? No, I didn't. <laughs> but Alien got there first, so they renamed it. We didn't know that because you definitely didn't accidentally tell us this anecdote last week. Ah, well, yeah, but no one else knows about that because I edited it out. Or oh, did you? <laughs> no, I did. But that was for pacing rather than because I fucked up. <laughs> Right, that's this week's explicit tag end as well. So, Alien Resurrection. Nathan, first impressions. This is the first time I have regretted signing up to do a classic TV and film podcast. (laughs) Really? More than than Alien 3? I thought Alien 3 was alright. I thought Alien 3 was a 65% film. (laughs) So what did you you feel about Alien Resurrection? I've seen worse films. (laughs) Um... If there's like a distribution where a good film is good and then an okay film is an okay way to spend some time and then a really awful film is fun because then you can tell people you've seen this really awful film. Like Sharknado. Like Sharknado or... Um, Shark Exorcist. <laughs> or Mega Shark versus Giga Octopus. <laughs> this one, I would say, is pretty close to the bottom of that valley in between the two. The one where you'd be ashamed to kind of admit that you've watched it. Not exactly. <laughs> 
It's not a waste of time. No, I'm being too mean. As I've, now I think about it, I thought of loads of films where I came out with them thinking that was a waste of time. <laughs> I didn't feel like it was a waste of time. I just felt like it wasn't very good. I enjoyed the film, but the kind of the whole plot construction is a. It's very forced. Yeah. Oh, we found some of Ripley's blood. Oh, we've managed to clone her and the alien queen inside her from her blood, and she's got genetic memory from the aliens, but of herself. This is the first what? time I wrote down. That's not how that works. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote down that several times. So your suspense of disbelief was overridden by the that's just fucking stupid. Rule. Well, I tried to spend some time thinking about how it could work and didn't come up with any satisfactory answers. And then I, <laughs> then I had missed quite a few cr- plot critical developments. I did notice it answered one of your big questions from last week, though, Nathan. Did it? Yeah, are artificial people actually people? And it turns out that some of them are the ones that you know, have hidden in plain sight. Oh, yes. Well, this is also... 200 years later. Technology doesn't seem to have come on quite as far as I would have expected for 200 years later. <laughs> Although I guess they're really good at cloning now. And they have gone from CRT screens and mm. <laughs> tape-driven computers to something a bit more modern. Yeah, oddly enough, in the far distant future they've progressed in 250 years roughly as much as we progressed from 1979 <laughs> to 2000, 2001? Or was this 97? 97. So this was the uh, Cool Britannia era. But they haven't thought to coat the uh, inside of the cells that they put the aliens in with, you know, Teflon. <laughs> or or even toughened glass, you know, something, something that's resistant to acid. Yeah, you would have thought in the original brief when I went, oh, these aliens have acid for blood. One, let's not put many of them together where they might accidentally hurt each other. And then, oh, maybe we should put them in something that is resistant to acid. Well, I guess it's fiction acid. Maybe it just it eats through everything. But then <laughs> but then why have them in space, I guess? It's a bit weird, because it obviously eats through aliens once they've been torn open, but it doesn't eat through them from the inside out. And I could, say, I guess you could say that you know, about our stomachs. Hmm. But that's one small organ rather than your, your entire circulatory system. So the biology of the aliens has always been a bit vague, and I guess that's, if not explicitly said because I wasn't paying enough attention, then at least hinted at that that's because they kind of reinvent them, their genome every time they have a new host. Yeah, it's supposed to take on elements of the host. Is it worth saying what actually happens in this film? Ripley is long dead, but she's been cloned from, I don't know, skin flakes and blood samples or something. Yeah. Um, her genetic code apparently encoded her memories and also the fact that she had an alien queen spawning in her. Yep. So as a result, they've now created this weird chimera who's like, why not? Outwardly, it's played by... Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney Weaver. I was about to say Winona Ryder, and I couldn't get over that. <laughs> Winona Ryder is also in this film as a robot. But you don't know she's a robot. Spoiler alert, she's a robot. <laughs> I just went into this film assuming that one character would be a robot, but I didn't guess it was going to be her. Until she had a big dramatic death scene, which was lingered on for several seconds, unlike all the other characters in that same scene who just got kind of off semi-off screen. <laughs> I was like, okay, so she's coming back and is something important then. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, what was I saying? No, no. Oh yeah, so... Sigourney Weaver and the Alien Queen both stepped into the same teleporter pod or something because he's now <laughs> semi-alien. Yep. Um, and in fact, I'm going to call her number eight from now on instead of Ripley. Because she is Ellen Ripley clone number eight. Exactly, yeah. Making them all very proud. Yeah, they, it's a film that's heavy on creepy scientists. <laughs> Has Brad Dourif ever played anyone who's not super creepy? Probably not. Let's not go to IMDb now and see if he's got a listing next to each of his roles that says creepy or not creepy. Well, I can only think of two other things that he's been in. He was worm tongue in Lord of the Rings, Two Towers. Super creepy. And he was some psychotic bloke in Star Trek Voyager who was also super creepy. Yep. 
I thought he did a really good job, actually. So I'm surprised he's not in more things, but then maybe the problem is that you only want to cast him if you need someone super creepy. Um, he was in the <laughs> X-Files episode Beyond the Sea as the psychic serial killer, <laughs> Luther Lee Boggs. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say super creepy. Yep. I imagine the casting was between him and uh, the guy who played Clark Kent in Smallville. And they were like, well, which <laughs> of these is exuding more of a psychic serial killer vibe? Uh, yeah, he pretty much seems to just play creepy people. So it's a bit like Steve Buscemi always playing crazy people. Yeah. Talk about getting typecast. When he was playing Grima Wormtongue, do you think they had him um, basically put on pallid makeup? Or was the instruction to stay inside for a couple of months before he started I'd, I'd like to think he's a method actor and he just <laughs> wanted to go full on pasty white. <laughs> was the other, was it Jay Freeman was the other creepy doctor, wasn't he? I have no idea. Wikipedia doesn't have a photo, so I'm just guessing this is him. So in the grand tradition of alien films, these this collection of creepy weirdos think they're onto a great idea by cloning, in this case, the horrible monsters that have completely ravenously devoured everyone who's previously attempted to do anything with them whatsoever. I guess this time the ultimate bad guy actually is the military side of the military-industrial complex. Yes, Wayland yutani appears to be a historical fiction now, because also, side detail, it's like 250 years later. And it's been bought out by Walmart. Is that said? Yeah, he actually <laughs> says they were bought out by Walmart. <laughs> I didn't notice that. I missed that as well. After the fuck fork com- um, conversation, and she starts talking about the company, and he's explaining that the company went under, he does tell them that they were bought out by Walmart, which I'm not even sure if it was just something that was actually put in or a throwaway, or yeah, Walmart still exists. <laughs> still a thing. So they are on, yeah, a military research spaceship called the Origa. Everything kind of goes wrong in the first five minutes, ten minutes. Mm-hmm. feels like that. Um, so everyone who knows how to run the place evacuates, so it's number eight, loads of aliens, and a bunch of pirates who were there for reasons that I didn't quite keep they, track of. I don't think it was quite that quick, but they were there because they were bringing kidnapped like passengers that were in cryopods that the military could infect to get the aliens. Oh, that's right. They were the living place. The, the cryopod thing brings me to a whole other thing that I'm not happy with this film for. Is this what we were talking about last week, about how fast the ships fly? Given that they've got people going around in cryopods, but it then takes them about three hours to get back to Earth from where they are in unregulated space. So it turns out that when the when shit hits the fan, the ship pilots itself back to Earth. To stop it, cool, redirects it just to crash into Earth, so it destroys everything. But they're told that it's a three-hour trip from unregulated space... To Earth doesn't say where this unregulated space is, but in a big solar system, mm. it does kind of suggest that the people in this film would use cryopods to go on their summer holidays. Yeah, it's like oh, we're taking the caravan up to Norfolk, and there may be a lot of traffic, so we're taking the cryopods with us. <laughs> Pretty much. So they've kidnapped the colonists that are in cryopods because their ship was going somewhere. They've flown them in the Betty out to the. Auriga, and then the Auriga is now in unregulated space but can make it back to Earth in three hours. This I have issue with. Everyone else needs cryopods except this one military science vessel. It's not right. It reminds me of a bit from one of the Red Dwarf audiobooks where uh, Arnold Rimmer, allegedly my favourite character, <laughs> likes to spend his time off living in suspended animation so he just doesn't live. So he can live longer. Maybe that's what they're using the cryopods for. Maybe. You said about the clones, Nathan. The the opening sequence was uber fucking creepy. Yeah, that is. It's it is kind of like a cross between a like Hieronymus Bosch painting and that Michael Jackson video that included lots of face morphing animation that came off as way creepier than was intended. It becomes obvious when you get about halfway through the film and you find the room full of the old clones that it's just extreme close-ups of all the previous seven incarnations of the Ripley clone. But it's 
Yeah, it's very creepy. Also, yeah, when it was trying to be creepy, this film did pretty well. Apart from anything else, waking up to discover you've got the number eight tattooed on you raises some pretty serious questions right away. I've got a quote from uh, Josh Whedon about how happy he was with the film. Oh yeah, elephant in the room, Josh Whedon wrote this film. <laughs> yeah, Josh Whedon wrote this film, but doesn't seem to have had any other part of it after writing it. In 2005, he was asked why he was unhappy. Um, it wasn't a question of doing everything differently, although they changed the ending. It was mostly a matter of doing everything wrong. They said the lines, mostly... But they said them all wrong, and they cast it wrong, and they designed it wrong, and they scored it wrong. They did everything wrong that they possibly could do. There's actually a fascinating lesson in filmmaking, because everything they did reflects back to the script, or looks like something from the script, and people assume that, if I hated it, then they changed the script. But it wasn't so much they changed the script, it's just that they executed it in such a ghastly fashion as to render it almost unwatchable. (laughs) Well, there you go. I apparently like it slightly more than Joss Whedon does. <laughs> However, the Betty, do you think the Betty was kind of a precursor to the Firefly? Very much so. Because it sure as hell looks like the Firefly. To the extent that Ron Perlman's character, I didn't learn his name and just thought of him as Jane throughout the film. Jonna. Could be. Well, there was the captain. There was, okay, his love interest, but the uh, the strong female character. The engineer type. Yeah, Jane Bart 1. Although the primary difference is that I can't imagine the crew of the Serenity are going to kidnap a bunch of people and sell them to be fed to monsters. <laughs> this is true. I think Mal might get a bit pissed off, let alone the rest of the crew. For that matter, <clears throat> he would probably refuse a job which was, like, your delivery point is the military research vessel Origa. He'd probably refuse that job even if he was delivering sunshine and puppies. <laughs> Talk about the, the opening sequence of all the uh, the different attempts in the glass tubes. In the um, extended version, it's a very, very different opening. It is just one great big long pan shot. The, the classic Star Wars-esque spaceship flying yeah. past of the Uriga. It's it's really really is different. In that version, you don't see any of the, the clones until you get to the clone trophy room. Yeah, I guess the, the lab of failure. <laughs> the lab of failure, I like that, yeah. Or as they call it, um, a term I've heard used to describe in crime thrillers, the evidence dungeon. <laughs> where the serial killer methodically goes back to paste clippings out of newspapers. Is that like when you break into the uh, evil overlord's you know, secret volcano layer and you go straight to the filing cabinet marked X and find all his secret plans? That's exactly. It. So that when you're two or three rooms away from having a big climatic show- uh, showdown, there's no doubt that you're in the right place. Given that they had to kind of plead to keep number eight alive, given that she was ostensibly intact externally, why was number seven still alive and writhing on the table? I think they're extracting shit from her because they did say that their experiments with the aliens and things had already given them multiple breakthroughs in polymers and shit like that. So I reckon those tubes weren't there to keep her alive. They were just siphoning her. I can see the argument that number eight was dangerous in a way that number seven wasn't because number seven couldn't really walk anywhere. (laughs) Also, why did number eight decide to kill number seven by flamethrowering her. Quite a painful way to kill them when they could have put a single bullet through her head. Would have done just as nicely and probably been quicker. Well, maybe there was, she was thinking she's got um, mutant healing factor. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it was just uh, fear, I don't know. This is a lot more gory film than the previous ones have been. Which is odd for a film, that, a film series that's always revolved around monsters eating people. Number three had a guy ripped apart in an air duct. With his guts strewn across everything. Yeah, but it was quite fleeting, I thought. <laughs> there was some 
quite extreme gore of this one, like when Brad Dourif's character just got his head bitten open. Yeah. And when De Stefano got his head crushed quite graphically. When the general uh, had the hole punched in the back of his head and he pulled bits of his brain out. Yeah. He was a really douchey character. Oh, is that... Um, general Perez. Dan Hedaya. Yep. The actor, who is one of the classic, oh, it's that guy actors. Because <laughs> he's extremely distinctive and yet somehow doesn't really raise to the level of recognisation. He's that, yeah. He's, I, didn't he's know that he was called, I didn't know he was called Dan Hedaya until I looked it up for this. That guy is, yeah. This did feel, feel more like a film aimed at, I guess, us specifically. <laughs> <laughs> Compared to the previous films. I do like the fact that all those soldiers evacuated instantly. Well, very sensibly, I thought. All those heavily armed, well-trained soldiers just left. Well, one of the bits of their training was, if you see an alert to um, evacuate, do not hang around and see what the problem is. <laughs> I thought that they would have... Had a go. Yeah. If I tell you to jump, you ask how far, not why. It <laughs> <laughs> should have been different. If it says, no, there's been an accident in the lab and we're about to explode, evacuate, run. If it says quarantine breach in the alien lab, grab a gun and go hunt the fucking thing down. No, I think they probably classified this correctly. (laughs) So Ripley gets a shitload of alien powers, including what look to be metal nails. And then the alien queen gets a quote-unquote human reproductive cycle. Yeah, presumably the um, development team for this film watched the previous ones and then thought, can we make the weird sexual undertones significantly more forthright, please? Well, have you seen the picture of the human-alien hybrid thing on Wikipedia? There's a human-alien hybrid near the end of the film. Yes, we have. So the the, oh, the draft version. Well, the actual one that they didn't, that they then edited out the weird kind of genital stomach thing from it, because I think that's maybe a step too far. The, the bit that kind of looks like a giant vagina with a giant dick hanging out of it. Yes. They went, uh, maybe this is too far. Digitally edited out for the film. Geiger, designer of the original Alien, was pleased with Resurrection, describing it as an excellent film, but was disappointed about not being credited. Well, Geiger is a world-class weirdo. (laughs) I mean, that's been... All due respect. Yeah, exactly. He's a tremendous artist, but that is partly because he's a world-class weirdo. He's now 27,817, by the way. Don't know if you heard that. (laughs) News just in. I got an email. Yeah, so um, another facet of number eight's Alien powers is that she has slightly acidy blood, which in the grand scene at the end, which I want to talk about, she um, kind of nicks herself and then um, acid burns a hole through the hull or through a window. <laughs> through the window, yeah. Which one can only imagine is like solid quartz or something. Yeah, in order to create, as with the uh, previous films, a scene where an alien gets sucked out into space. It's the only way. It's the only way, apparently, although nuking it from orbit's been mentioned a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, this one. This blowing the alien out into space was a bit more graphic than the last two aliens she blew out into space. She did blow it into space out of the back of its own skull. Yeah. Yeah, to quote my notes, that's not how that works. <laughs> <laughs> One bar of pressure, which is, you know, assuming the inside of the origa is like an atmosphere and the outside is like a vacuum, is the same as like 10 metres of water. So you can get knocked out of an airlock by it because it's like a rushing river or something, but a rushing river typically doesn't strip your flesh from your bones and then liquefy the bones. This is like if you... I think this works physics-wise. It's like if you drilled a hole in the bottom of the tanks at SeaWorld, would you expect all the whales to be extruded through the hole? (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. Only one way to find out. (laughs) I think 
you would just end up with a very dry and very grumpy orca. <laughs> it's just that, that image now. I'm going to be stuck with that. There's <laughs> this orca stuck to the bottom of a tank. I was like, well, I wasn't having a great day already, to be honest. <laughs> One of the bits I liked reading about was the uh, the scene where number eight gets the basketball and lobs it over her shoulder and gets her right in the middle of the basket. And they spent like all day doing it. And they're like, oh, well, we'll, we'll just edit it together. It'll be fine. She's like, no, God damn it, I'm going to do it. And then Ron Perlman almost fucked it for everyone. Oh, by uh, laughing or something at the end of the take. <laughs> Apparently he turned towards the camera and just went, did you see that? <laughs> but there was just enough of a pause for them to cut it and you know, then re-record some reaction from the other characters without it seeming too quick. Uh, so she did actually do it then? She did do it, yeah, by complete fluke. Well, see, when I was watching it, I thought, I wonder if she did that. And then, because there is a, a, like, a couple of frames where it goes out the top of frame and then comes back in. And I wondered if that was a trick, if she was just like throwing it to someone, catching it in a net or something. The same bit on Wikipedia said they were talking about and they asked her if they wanted them to edit it back in so it didn't go out of shot. Oh right, just like move the frame up a bit. Yeah, they decided to just leave it. I wonder if that would have like revealed a bit of the lighting rig or something. We were trained for ten days and averaged one out of six baskets. Although the distance required for filming was further than she had practiced. That, that's determination. Hmm. That's... One in six doesn't sound too bad, to be honest, lobbing it over your shoulder. I will say, I think Thought Sigourney Weaver did an excellent job. I did read that one of the main reasons that she um, agreed to do Alien 4, despite the fact that her contract for Alien 3 was, although it provided you don't make me do an Alien 4, <laughs> was, it's alright, you're basically playing a completely different character in this one, because you're number eight now and are weird and creepy and say unsettling things to people. Some of the interactions between Ripley and, sorry, number eight and Call were quite strange. There was that weird sexual vibe where she kept poking her fingers in her milk hole. <laughs> milk hole? Please don't ever use that term again. I, <laughs> I didn't know what else. I was going to call it a bloody hole, but there was no blood. And milk <laughs> hole just came out. Bullet hole? A gunshot wound? Either would do. I've made a, made a note on this phone, which is called Terms to Never Use Again, and I already had in there Extruded Orca. <laughs> Now I'm going to add milk hole to it. So I did think it was interesting when uh, it was revealed to them that Call was in fact a, uh, I want to call her a replicant, but... <laughs> a synthetic. Yeah, and the kind of discussion about that, and she's obviously a synthetic, built by synthetics to be even more like people, but who's then, obviously she said she burnt out her modem, but it wasn't quite as far as you know, erasing her own memory of being a simulant hmm. or synth. I suppose with all the information she'd gathered before cutting herself off, she must have felt she could do some good with that information. Else maybe she would have just wiped it and installed a backup that was, here's a live history 101. This is you. I'd say, yeah, Call, as played by Robot Winona Ryder. (laughs) Isn't that Robot Call played by Winona Ryder? (laughs) Or is that just a comment on Winona Ryder's acting in this movie? I thought Winona Ryder did a fine job. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was going to say she's the only sympathetic character in the film, in my opinion, because I was creeped out by number eight from the first time she appears. And the rest of them are either Jane or slightly worse than Jane, in that they're... Pirates. Pirate. Well, piracy's one thing. Piracy sounds fun. <laughs> but they are, yeah, trading in monster food. Monster <laughs> food that has thoughts and feelings and turns up as a minor character later in the film. Apparently Cool's first name is Anna Lee. Anna Lee Cool. I don't think it's ever mentioned in the film, though, is it? That she has a first name. No, I don't think it is. This film is kind of more of a... This is going to sound weird. It is more of a sci-fi than the previous ones have been. I think, yeah. 
if you know what I mean, because um, it is kind of like that scene in Firefly where they say, oh yeah, River's a psychic, and Wash goes, that sounds like science fiction. <laughs> you live on a spaceship, so? <laughs> yeah. So there's a, there's a distinction between sci-fi as a setting and then sci-fi as a like theme or something. Yeah. So Firefly had a lot of sci-fi as a setting, but it was really a western. So whereas Aliens had a sci-fi setting, but was Survival really an horror. action fit. Oh, sorry, yeah, Alien was like psychological horror and then Aliens was an action film. Yeah. This is the first one in the franchise where it's really scientists um, change the rules of what it is to be a person. I mean, I guess the existence of robots was all, always a sci-fi element. Hmm. But there's the sci-fi element, there's the displaced in time element, there's this not quite human main character. Yeah, I think there's a solid argument for it being a, a sci-fi film. It's certainly got more sci-fi than the... Uh... The other three combined. Yeah, it's like any one of those elements could be quite a, could be the basis for a film. Like just being displaced two hundred years in time, even if you were exactly the same person, which number eight is not. That is like someone from seventeen forty six, as I wrote in my notes, coming to the present day. I mean, like, oh, I guess you guys are developing this technology for to fight in the war between Prussia and Spain. Hope I don't. Well. Do an- <laughs> yeah, hope I don't do anything wrong, or I might be publicly beheaded because that's a thing that happens in my time. <laughs> How corny was it that the computer was called father? Did did that rub anyone? I thought that was just a little bit too corny. Going from mother in alien to father. I didn't find it corny, but it kind of it was an obvious continuation of that as an idea. Struck me as a little, just a little bit on the nose. Felt shoehorned in. Was the the other peeve that I slightly had was they shouted at when they've been they first encounter the alien and they're gonna shoot it, but they tell them not to shoot the alien because it stood in front of the hole. I thought, that's good. They're acknowledging the bullets in space are bad. Get to the end, when scientist has got gun to Cole's head and infected colonist is charging at him, he has no qualms about opening up at this guy running at him in front of the window on the betty that they're going to try and use to escape. Yeah, but what's the bigger threat at that point? Making a hole in the hull or the guy running at you? That's just a prioritisation call. What's more of a priority? Not putting a bullet in the hole or shooting the man-eating alien that's just slaughtered everyone else on the ship? Well, true. <laughs> I did think that was particularly brutal when that colonist passenger whoever holds that guy's head to his chest as the burster comes out. Yeah, which suggests that he knew that was going to happen beyond what the kind of vague and creepy hints that Number 8 had already given him. I'm, I'm guessing the big pool of blood that came out of his shirt oh, yeah, kind of gave and away where it was coming from yeah oh maybe this is the exit hole <laughs> I thought um, some of the Jonna Ripley interactions were amusing as throwaway lines when he asked her how she dealt with it last time and she just went I died <laughs> yeah that amused me as well and then she's back on the ship and he goes oh, Ripley's back she says good memory <laughs> who do I have to fuck to get off this boat I can get you off Maybe not the boat. How many now, Nathan? It still says 27817. I don't know if there's another mailbox somewhere that's filling up. (laughs) (laughs) Then maybe. I don't think anyone texted me. The other phones haven't lit up, so I don't think it's just a text message coming through. It's fine. So overall dissatisfaction with this part of the franchise. (laughs) I watched the film and then thought, man, I hope we do the recording soon so I can watch Mad Max. (laughs) (laughs) Did you watch Prometheus? No. And I don't really intend to. I wouldn't bother. I hear there's a scene where people run away from a wheel by running in the axis it's going. 
Yeah. I hear there's a, a Friday afternoon where people have the same conversation again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was in one of the other podcasts. Yeah, it is. That's the only thing I know about Prometheus, though, other than there's an untrustworthy robot and it's an Aliens prequels. Yeah, this should have been the last instalment of the Alien franchise. I think ever. three should probably have been the last instalment. Oh, wow. Yeah. As, as an attempt at I... rebirth, this was pretty bad. Yeah, I think they should have left it at three. I think Prometheus is an okay sci-fi film, but it shouldn't be part of the Alien franchise. I do wonder if I would have liked this more if it had not been an Aliens film. If it had just been a Aliens on a Spaceship film, rather than an Aliens. Yeah, I guess all the changes I'm thinking of making start to turn it basically into gravity. <laughs> if you take out the Aliens, then it's just, oh, we need to get off this ship that's out that's of control. Yeah. yeah. That wouldn't have been as much fun. What was Winona Ryder in other than this and that court case? Because <laughs> that's all I can think of for her. <laughs> and that court case. Um, she was in um, Girl Interrupted. I remember in that. Star Trek, the reboot. Was she? Br- briefly, yeah. She was Spock's mum, Amanda Grayson. Yes, she oh. was. But yeah, now you ask the question, I can't remember anything Winona Ryder's ever done. She was in A Scanner Darkly. Well, Scanner Darkly was like, visually animated, so it's, I feel not. Don't I don't feel bad for not recognizing anyone, anyone yeah, in there. Keanu Reeves is still recognizable in that. Well, Keanu is very distinctive. So is Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, uh, to, to both of those things. Also, that's a film where I don't think this is a spoiler. Most people are hiding their identity for most of the film, to the extent that yeah. they use disguises and voice modulators. So again, I don't feel bad. Oh, Edward Scissorhands. I haven't seen it. She was the. Young girl slash love interest. Apparently she was in the uh, Black okay. Swan as well. I don't remember her being in that. No, I don't remember it being in Black Swan. She's got quite a lot of credits, to be fair. Are a lot of them um, before Alien 4, or is this a kind of de- debut role? No, she's done quite a lot before Alien, Alien 4. She was in Zoolander? Yeah, as an uncredited cameo. So she'd done... Oh, she's in Beetlejuice? Did yeah, you... she's the young girl in Beetlejuice, isn't she? Did you know that so uh, Zoolander 4 was... Uh, Zoolander 4. Zoolander 2 big critical difference there. Zoolander 2 was um, used as a as part of the argument in a Supreme Court case fairly recently. <laughs> was it? Really? Yeah, it was a, the point of Lord um, depended on whether if you have like uh, X, Y and Z and then a like qualifying clause at the end. So it, the particular case was like anyone who was um, convicted of I don't know, assault, sexual assault, or um, some other impropriety involving a minor then triggers this extra penalty. And their argument was that the involving a minor should only attach to the last thing in that list rather than all of them. And the Supreme Court did not agree with that. They said, no, that applies to everything in the list. But the Justice Kagan, in her dissent from that court case, said, if someone said, I want to meet an actor, director, or producer from Star Wars you would not be happy to then meet an actor from Zoolander 2. <laughs> that is really random. So that's just a, as a point of English language. As a point of how language works, yeah. Can we go back to 1979 now, please? Do you mean 1997? No, 1979. Oh, okay, go on then. For next week, Mad Max. All right. <laughs> I, I thought it'd be more interesting to get back to the actual podcast rather than talking about Supreme Court justices, mainly because my knowledge of Supreme Court justices in the United States are... That there are some. Well, that's my knowledge of the British Supreme Court, which you'd think I'd know more about. Doesn't doesn't Iron Man go in front of the Supreme Court at some point? That's about the, the extent <laughs> of my knowledge. In fact, are there not six Supreme Court justices at the moment? Because no one can decide when to elect the seventh again, now that the other one died. Because the Republicans don't want Obama to do it, because he'll obviously appoint a Democrat. Yeah, they don't want Obama to do it, but that's a... 
weird negotiating position that I don't fully understand. Because firstly, it is not a great negotiating position to say, I am never going to agree with you under any circumstances, which is basically what they've done. <laughs> and secondly, they're gambling on either Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. So it's like, do you want <laughs> Hillary Clinton to nominate basically the same guy Obama would have nominated? Or do you want Donald Trump to nominate himself? <laughs> Because he can build a wall. <laughs> I think if Donald Trump does become president, what happens, well, from what I can guess of Mad Max, is actually what's going to happen. It will just be a bunch of Aussies driving around in the desert, just kind of fighting each other to survive because everything's gone to shit. I'm really excited about Mad Max. I know almost nothing about it except what's percolated into culture. All I know about it is he's called Max, he's quite mad, and it's some sort of post-apocalyptic desert driving around kind of thing. I think I remember vaguely watching the first one, or at least the first 15-20 minutes at some point. And that's it. I don't remember any more after that. I have watched Fury Road, but as for the the original trilogy... So you've seen Fury Road and maybe bits and pieces of it while it was on TV and you were drunk. Is that what we're saying here? That's what we're saying, (laughs) Okay. And Paul, it sounds like you've seen none of it? I may have seen a bit of um, Beyond Thunderdome with Tina Turner in it. But, like, not even a five-minute section, just brief glimpses. I've certainly never watched any of it. Yeah, I've seen a, a like, two-and-a-half-minute YouTube clip of someone saying, who run Bartertown? Without getting ahead of myself, just looking at the Wikipedia page in anticipation, it had the Guinness World Record for being the most profitable film between 1980 and 1999, mainly because its budget was 400000 Australian dollars and the box office was $100 million US dollars. That is a big difference. I'm really interested to see what a $400,000 film looks like now, actually. Because I was imagining Mad Max would just be, you know, a Hollywood film, but it sounds like, well, A, Australia, not Hollywood. And B, it sounds like these might have been cars belonging to the cast and crew rather than... (laughs) Maybe that's why they all look so terrible, because they're they're actually their first car out of college. It's, in fact, not a film, it is a documentary. (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking forward to it. It's been a while since we've had a change of uh, topic. Yeah, it's going to be a bit of a change of tack. I mean, Firefly was long, but it was enjoyably long. Whereas, I can't say I've in- I quite enjoyed watching four Alien films as much as I enjoyed watching the entire season of Firefly. <laughs> Unfortunately, if we watch a lot of franchises, this may be a repeated pattern, where we watch the genre-defining classic, and then it's pretty good follow-up, and then it's sequel that maybe shouldn't have been made, and then it's sequel that definitely shouldn't have been made. <laughs> Well, hopefully this will break that cycle, but you never know. Since in this case the fourth film won, I think, was it 125 Oscars? 126 Oscars. I feel confident that it's not going to be the worst in the franchise. (laughs) I think we're about wrapped up. Yep, I think that'll do. That'll do, donkey. That'll do. That's it for this week, peeps. Tune in next time for more remedial nerding. What was that? Just the look that Nathan gave me. Normally you can't see this because we're not sat next to each other on the sofa, but I go confused stares to the Skype screen multiple times. If this was Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, Nathan would have a big cartoon question mark above his head. Ping, ping, ping.